Amen. You may be seated. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome. Welcome to Hope. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the uh, Bibles that are in front of you, and you can find the fourth chapter of Ephesians on page 919. And uh, we are going to open up God's Word, and we are going to study and see what God's Word has to say. Let me just say one thing real quick. We're very thankful for the fact that God has been just bringing families into the church. It's what we prayed for, and it's what God is doing. And so one of the things that we're seeing is that we're getting many young families coming in, which is a great thing with children. And uh, as we uh, are looking ahead, there may be some of you that would say to yourselves, I would love to be able to help in that ministry and to be able to impact children. And that's what children's ministry does. I mean, we are raising these children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And uh, it also is making us rethink about what we're going to do with this modular building next door, because we are finding that we may need some more children's space soon, and that's a good thing. I'm thankful for that. So you can be praying about how uh, you can be involved with that in the days and weeks ahead. Well, last week, these last weeks, we've been studying just this whole idea is the fact that when you're in Christ, your life is transformed. In fact, it's not just transformed, but it's radically transformed. When you truly understand your identity, who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you, the fact that we were dead, he made us alive, we were in darkness, he brought us into the light. You can't help but just be excited about this new life. In fact, I put up on the screen last week, I'll put it up again, about who I am in Christ. And I think it's important to always go back to this, the fact that we are chosen, we're adopted, we've been accepted, we are loved, we've been blessed, we're redeemed, we've been forgiven, we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ, we're sealed, sealed until the day of redemption, we've been gifted. And as a result of that, in in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And we, we sang a song called Worthy. And that worthy means that with the weight in which God has done this, this is how I now want you to live. That there's an equal weight. And so last week we, we talked about the fact that we should no longer walk as we used to walk. We walk a new way. Our old life, our minds were futile, our hearts were hardened, our lives were controlled by the flesh, but now in Christ, we must daily lay aside our old life, we must daily be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we must daily put on our new self. That's what we talked about last week, and you're saying, okay, that sounds great, I'm good with that, but what does it look like practically? I mean, how do I really... Walk a walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. It's so theoretical. Well, now Paul gets into, as he writes this letter, some real examples. And really, the rest of this book is extremely practical on how you walk this walk. So I wrote this, I wrote this down. I'll put it on the screen. Walking worthy of, of our calling is not just a theoretical challenge. It has practical implications It's not just some theory that we kind of attain in our knowledge. 
but it actually impacts how I walk, how each foot goes in front of the other in this new life. And we're going to start seeing this in verse 25 through 32 today. And forgive me in advance if I step on some of your toes. Actually, I'm not going to apologize for it. Because if your toes get stepped on, it's probably a good thing. My toes have been stepped on by the Lord all week. And, uh, but I'm thankful for that. Look at verse 25. Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood. Remember back in verse 22, he says, put off your old self. In verse 24, he says, put on the new self. So now in verse 25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, we're going to look at five examples from this text on how to walk worthy. But before we do, I want to remind you of something I said last week. Stop focusing or don't focus on what to do and what not to do. That becomes religion. That becomes, well, I've got to do these things or I can't do these things so I can attain this higher level. What I want you to do is focus on Jesus. Focus on who he is and what he's done. In fact, in in Psalm 28, 7, I believe it is, it says, you have said, seek my face, so your face, O Lord, do I seek. It's this idea of seeking the face of the Lord. Let me give you an example. If you have a child and you've spent a lot of time with them, over time, whether good or bad, they're going to start imitating you. They're going to start acting like you. They're going to have mannerisms like you. Or if you've been married long enough, like Pam and I have, you start saying the same things. You start reacting in the same way. You become like that person that you spend time with. And that's the point here. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we look into his face, the more we understand his character and his attributes by being in his word, the more we put on the character of Christ. So let's not think about do's and don'ts. Think about Jesus. All right. With that, let's look at five examples to walk worthy. Here's the first one. Put off lying, put on truth. Put off lying, put on truth. Again, look at verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul says, put away falsehood. The idea of take it off. If you remember the put-offs and the put-ons, it's a, it's a picture of clothing, taking off clothing. In fact, in Acts chapter uh, 7, verses 28, verse 28, I believe it is, or verse 58, when, when, they, were, when, they, were, when they were stoning Stephen, it says that they, they laid their clothes, uh, they laid their cloaks at the, at the feet of Saul. It's the same idea. We take off lying. So what is lying? It's intentional misreputation misrepresentation of the truth. 
It's false words. Here's the point. We don't have to learn to lie. Nobody has taught you to lie. It's in our nature. We all lie. And if you're one of those sitting there saying, well, I never lie. Guess what you just did? (laughs) Paul says, put it off. Lay it aside. Get rid of it. Cast it away. Now, lying can come in all kinds of different forms. It, it, it could be just a direct falsehood. You know, somebody knocks on the door. Hey, Blake, tell them I'm not here. Okay, it used to be when the phone would ring, but now everybody has their own phone. It's, it's, it's you know, you, you know just not to answer it if it's somebody you don't want to talk to. But like if somebody, you have to use a different illustration these days. Like if somebody knocks on the door and it's like, if you're telling your child that you're not home, what if you, I mean, you can teach your children to lie if you're not careful. Um, or if you break something and you put it back and then your wife says, did you break that? No. The kids must, the dog did it. So it's a, a direct falsehood, or how about an exaggeration? And it comes in all kinds of forms. Embellishing stories can be an exaggeration. Now that's, that's as old as Genesis 3. I mean, we see Eve when she's recounting what the Lord had said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, nor shall you touch it. Well, the, well, God never said don't touch it. He said just don't eat of it. And so we can exaggerate. We can oversell. We can embellish stories about what, what we have accomplished. Once in a while, we can one-up one another. Well, let me tell you about this. Um, Eric Tucker and I, we were at uh, seeing Phil Doyle this last week. He had surgery. And we started telling stories about surgeries that we've each had. Now, this was a little bit odd. And I found myself, well, okay, well, that happened to you, but let me tell you. And I then all of a sudden remembered the text. I said, okay, it wasn't that bad. And, and the fact is, we've got to be careful about that. Um, it can have, even happen in, with, with pastors. Pam and I are going to a pastor's conference this week. And, you know, sometimes pastors will say things to make themselves feel good. But the fact is, lying causes disunity and it causes division in your family and in the church. Now here's another form, cheating. Cheating on your taxes, cheating in school, cheating with business dealings, or unfulfilled promises. Here's another one. We say things in the moment. Here's one that can be really tough. I'll pray for you. Don't raise your hands, but how many times have you said that and then you didn't? Let me tell you a great solution for that. If you say to somebody, I'm going to pray for you, pray for them right then. Just use a 10-second prayer. I'm telling you, it just makes all the difference in the world. Now, certainly, if you, if you keep a prayer list, put it on your prayer list so you don't forget to pray for them. Um, or you say, well, like one day we'll go to Disneyland. Well, when is that going to happen? You know, we, we say things that in the moment... It makes us feel good, and we may try to make them feel good. It's appeasing a situation. Here's one last one, making excuses. I'm sure nobody here has ever said this, but you might say, well, I was late because. How often do you hear somebody say, I was late because I wasn't really considering your time. I tried to do too many things, and, and I just felt my time was more important than yours. But so often, that's really what it is. Listen to what God's view is online. I'll put it up on uh, the screen from Proverbs chapter 6. There's six things that the Lord hates. 
seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, uh, feet that make haste run, to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Put off lying. But not just put off. See, we don't just put off, but there's something that we put on. What is it that we put on? He says in verse 25, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So the fact is, we are to speak the truth. And remember, Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, we're to speak the truth in love. We don't just speak the truth. In fact, I, 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 I quoted an old saying, you know, truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. It is a mark of a mature Christian, somebody that's walking worthy, when we speak the truth, we share the truth in love, especially God's truth. In fact, John 6, 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is what? Truth. One of the greatest ways we can speak truth to people is by opening up the word of God. You know, somebody's saying, well, I'm really struggling in my marriage, and, and that'll happen. Well, let's go and see what God's word says. Yeah, but my sister and my, my aunt and, my, and my, my neighbor said I should do this. Okay, great. That's their opinion. Let's see what God's word says. Share truth. Speaking truth. But maturity also means using wisdom. What to say, when to say it, how to say it, with the tone with which you say it. Keeping a confidence. Now, as I said, there's going to be a command. To, I didn't mention this, but let me mention it now. I mentioned it in my notes earlier, but I forgot it. But there's a, a negative command, there's a positive command, and then there's a motivation behind that positive command. So what's the motivation be, behind putting off lying and putting on speaking truth? Notice what he says. He says, for we are members of one another. We're a family. In Christ, we are family. Each one of us. We're all part of the same body. And so the fact is... Healthy community, healthy relationships cannot exist without truth. Healthy marriages cannot exist without truth. So that's the first example of walking worthy. Here's the second one. Put off sinful anger and put on righteous anger. Put off sinful anger and put, off, put on righteous anger. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now he says, be angry. That's in the imperative. What? Wait a minute. Am I supposed to be angry or am I not supposed to be angry? Isn't anger not good? Well, what you see here is he's not, when he says, when he says uh, be angry, he's not saying sinful anger this momentary outward outburst, rage or seething resentment. He's speaking of a deep-seated, a, a, a determined conviction, anger that, that, that hates injustice, that, that abhors immorality and ungodliness. When he's saying anger, he says, put on righteous anger. He's saying anger that, that basically... Uh, 
sees injustices in the world. Now, sinful anger is completely different. Sinful anger is condescending, it's demeaning, it's hurtful, it's cynical. It's this rage towards other people. But there's a good anger. In fact, we see that there's times where Jesus is angry. Remember where where Jesus had had a full day and then all these parents started bringing their children to Jesus. And and we see that in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. I'll put it on the screen. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That's the same word for anger. He was angry and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. There was a, there was a time where Jesus was healing, and it was on a Sabbath, and, 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 and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they, 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 they condemned Jesus for healing a man and, uh, on that, on, because it was a Sabbath, and you could see Jesus was angry at them because they misunderstood the law. It was about just rules and regulations, about, except it wasn't about the heart of God. What should we be angry at? Here's one, abortion. Over 60 million babies have been aborted since Roe v. Wade in 1973. In fact, this last week was the March for Life. You know, my pastor always used to say, hey, we don't curse the darkness, but we light a candle. And we should light a candle, you know. You know, in New York City, I read this, this is crazy. They have outlawed foie gras, which is duck liver, because they don't want the poor ducks to have to be killed for their liver. But it is legal for late-term abortions. What's going on in our, in our, in our society? It's, it's like we're, we're not speaking truth to people. We, we need to understand truth. And, 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 and the fact is, we, we don't curse the darkness, but we light a candle. Be, be angry at sex trafficking. There, there's a great ministry out there right now called Streetlight. I know, Chandler, you're involved in that. It's, it's dealing with those that have been uh, taken into, um, into uh, sex trafficking. Be angry at addictions that destroy, but be angry and do not sin. We have to be careful so often because there's times where our righteous anger can move into pride and prideful anger that becomes sinful. So when you have anger, when you have sinful anger, you should at least deal with it in the next week or two, right? Is that what scripture says? Notice what it says here. He says, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So if you have sinful anger, when should you deal with it? Immediately. I mean, you need to deal with it. And so often, okay, I'm just going to have to say something, Todd. Go ahead and pick up the tennis ball. You wonder why Todd has a tennis ball in church. I had to embarrass him. Oh, it just, it must have come down the, it must have, it wasn't his. (laughs) That's what happens when you have sloped floors. You never know what might come down. All right. Uh, We'll go back to the text and to getting rid of your anger, but deal with it immediately. Don't push it under the rug. Don't shove it in the closet. Don't let it fester. 
Don't take it to bed. Deal with it. David and I were putting together some uh, picnic tables last week, and I got a splinter, and I just looked at it, and I thought, okay, well, that's not fun. I'll get it later. And Thursday night rolled around, and I was busy doing other things. I just left it there. And then Friday, I said, I'll get to it after I finish writing my message. And then we ended up going down and babysitting our granddaughter, cutest granddaughter in the world, by the way. And then we, uh, Saturday, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at my finger, and it is like it's red. It's festering. And so I had to take that splinter out. The fact is, I should have taken it out immediately. And it's the same thing with anger. We have to be careful that it doesn't get infected. It doesn't consume you. And here's the motivation. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around, seeking whom he might destroy. Listen, when we have unconfessed sin, unconfessed anger, and we let it continue on, guess what we've just done? We've opened ourselves up to Satan and to the schemes of the devil. We have to be so careful. Deal with it immediately. Keep short accounts. So here's a question. What if you've already crossed that line? What if you're living in the consequences of your sin, of ongoing anger? You've destroyed maybe a, a relationship. You've impacted your marriage. You've, you've caused distrust at work. What do you do? You go to the Lord. First thing you do is you confess it. Go to the Lord and confess it. First John 1, 9, if we... He is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confess it. And then secondly, repent of it. Turn from it. Immediately. Deal with it even now. See, what happens is so often we can like, we, we allow it to just weigh us down versus dealing with it even when we, we know it's the right thing to do. And then seek forgiveness. First seek forgiveness from God, but then go to the person and, and confess it. And repent of it and, and seek for forgiveness. And, and you're thinking, well, what if they aren't willing to, to forgive me? Listen, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with your brother. As much as it depends upon us, we do what we can do. But the fact is, we need to always go back to who I am. This is not who I am. This is who I was. But the fact is, I've been chosen, I've been redeemed, I've been adopted, I've, I've been forgiven. The fact is, you can't do it on your own, but start living connected to the vine so you can start producing spiritual fruit. All right, put off lying, put on truth-telling, put off ang- uh, sinful anger, put on righteous anger. Third, put off stealing And put on working. Look at verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That word stealing, it's the Greek word is is klepto. Ever heard of that before? Kleptomaniac? Okay, well, that's where it comes from. And so in the original, what this is saying 
is it's, it's saying, let the, klepto, let the klepto no longer be a klepto. That's what it's saying. This is not who you are anymore. Now, the old self, the old nature, it had this inclination to, to take, to steal, to keep. But the new self, the, the, those that are closed in Christ, they have a new nature. They are now a giver. They, 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 they're no longer a taker. Why? Because Christ was a giver. He gave his life. See, we're clothing ourselves in Christ. We're clothing ourselves in this, this giving nature. In fact, in, uh, in, second, in second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it speaks about, though he was rich, he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. Put, it, put off taking. Put on giving. The fact is, taking, stealing, it's self-centered. It's self-focused. Are you a taker or a giver? What would, you, what would your spouse say? Now, I think back, and some of you are, 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 are new in the last month since we've moved into this building, but I can tell you this fall, we had some people in our church that gave above and beyond what we could have ever thought or imagined. And the fact that we were able to buy this building and, and transform this building and so many people just came alongside through their gifts, through their talents, through their giving, that we could have this. It was an amazing thing to see. It was an amazing thing to see the body of Christ just being about giving. We were so encouraged by that. Let me just give a shameless plug. We're probably going to, we, we have some more things that we need to do that we would like to do. And if, if God continues to bring new families in here, we'll need to do. And so if you want to be a part of our building campaign, you're welcome to do that. You can just go online and give or let us know. But what are some examples of stealing? Let's get practical here. Well, let me just put this one up. Your work hours. Are you productive? Are you productive at work? Meaning, can you look back at the end of the day and say, you know what? For what I'm getting paid for, I was all about doing the work that I am, was hired for. I've honored the Lord by doing what I'm paid to do. Or do you find yourself catching up with friends, doing personal work on social media, pers personal social media, reading blogs? I've read some studies about the amount of time that's wasted at work of people just reading blogs. Here's a second one. Maybe if you own your own business or you're in the service business, overbilling, taking advantage of people. The Bible says, let the thief no longer steal. Here's a third one, not paying a fair wage. If you own a company, not paying a fair wage. Fourth, not paying a debt, not repaying a debt. When you owe a debt, repay it, or at least work something out with them. Fifth, not reporting income. Hey, if you give me cash, then we won't have to report it. We're not giving back to the Lord. The fact is, all that we have is from the Lord. And you're saying, well, what do you mean? How can that be stealing? Well, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 10 speaks of it. In fact, let me put it on the screen. Malachi says, will man rob God? 
yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Answer, in your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We, we rob God by not giving back what he has given us. Now, I got to just share a testimony. And actually, I asked this person if it was okay if I share it and keep it anonymous. She says, no, use my name. <laughs> so I'm going to use her name. Uh, we, had a, we had a family came to us about a month ago, right before Christmas, and said, um, do you have a, you know, we have a heart for single moms. Do you have a single mom in your church that has a need? And I said, um, I, so I shared this story about Nina and her, she's got some great boys, Bear and Doug. And uh, they said, okay. And they, um, they actually gave us a check to give to her. Didn't know what it was, but on Christmas Day, we gave it to her. And there were tears in her eyes. Certainly, I can understand that. But then the next, the, then the next week, she comes up to me and she says, I just got to tell you. She said, I know that we're called to tithe. We're t- called to give to the church. And I'm thinking, yeah. And, and, and she says, but I've really struggled with that. It's, it's a faith issue. And, and she said, we had sold something and realized that I really needed to give that to the work of the church. And she said, but I was a little bit fearful. But we went ahead and did it. And right after that, you gave us that check. And she goes, you can't believe what that did for our faith and my family. I mean, I'm not making that story up. And we had nothing to do with it. The fact is, that family who gave that check, they work hard so they can give to those in need. And that's, that's, that's what you see here. You see um, uh, that we're not just to, to put off stealing, but we're to put on uh, working. And he says that. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the, that's the motivation. It, it's the whole idea of being able to, 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 to do so I can give. We go from serving self to serving God and others when we come in Christ. So that's the fourth example of walking worthy. Here's the fifth. It's the last one. Excuse me, this is the fourth. So some of you are taking notes and you're saying, uh-oh, what did I miss? You didn't miss anything. I missed it again. All right, put off rotten words, put on edifying words. Put off rotten words and put on edifying words. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now this can cut deep. He's saying put off corrupting words. That word corrupt, it's a word for rotten fruit. Have you ever cleaned out your crisper drawer like a month too late? And you pull out that baggie of whatever that fruit was, but now it's half liquid. That's what it's talking about. Like, like, why are you guys doing this to your wives? They should be doing that to you. You guys clean out the crisper drawers. So what are some 
Words that are corrupting, words that cut, words that criticize, words that complain, words that undermine, words that tear down, off-color jokes, certainly profanity, sometimes just to fit in. Listen, the tongue can be very difficult to control. I would encourage you to read James chapter 3 this week. It's a great passage about it. Salt water and fresh water do not come out of the same stream. Praising God and, and, and unrighteous words should not come out of the same mouth. And Jesus tells us it's not a mouth issue. What is it? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and 34, he says, either make the, good, the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. He's speaking to the hypocrites here. I mean, excuse me, he's, he's speaking to the, uh, the religious leaders. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why I love what Psalm 141.3 says. This is a great memory verse for some of us. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. It's a great prayer. God, work in my heart. Change my heart. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person put off corrupting words, put on words that edify. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, that word building up. It's, it's, I, I, I explained the word a couple weeks ago. It's, it's a construction word, uh, building a building brick by brick. Your words should build those around you up brick by brick. Here's what I've learned. In fact, let me ask a question. Don't, don't say anything. Do you find it easier for you to encourage people or to criticize people? Whenever I've asked that at a small group, most people say, criticize. But then let me ask you this. What would you rather have somebody criticize you or encourage you? I think we'd all say we'd rather be encouraged. But see, why don't we do unto others as we would want others to do unto us? And so it's this whole idea, the the type of words that we should speak. First of all, words that build up, that encourage, that are helpful, that are constructive. As our boys were growing up, Pam had to continually remind me of that with our boys. High expectations that I probably couldn't even live up to. Here's second words that we should speak. Words that are appropriate. Notice what it says, as fits the occasion. Words that are appropriate as fits the occasion in that moment, in that time. Timing is everything. Timing with your spouse. Timing with your children. Timing with your coworkers. Uh, Third, words that are gracious. That it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words express grace? Do they give grace? So important. So important for raising children. And then there's the motivation. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Now, this verse can really encompass all the verses we've talked to, but it's right here in after this whole idea of putting off corrupt words. Listen, when we walk in the Spirit, when we're connected to the vine of Christ, we're vitally connected, then we will produce spiritual fruit. We're connected to, 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 to the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. But if we're disconnected from the vine, then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're fulfilling the desires of the flesh and we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Our unchristlike behavior grieves the Holy Spirit who's in us. Lord, help us to live in a way that honors Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. All right, one last example of a put off and put on. Put off hostility, put on kindness. Put off hostility and put on kindness. Look at verse 31. Let all, notice that word all. It's pretty comprehensive. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying, put off that old toxic self. That does not represent Christ. That is who you used to be. That's not who you are in Christ. The word bitterness, it means smoldering resentment, wrath. It's wild rage, anger. It's an internal smoldering. When I, when I was young, when I was in my 20s, I, I, I ran a marble and granite business in, in, in Los Angeles. I've, I've mentioned this before. And there was, a, there, was a, there was an Italian that worked for us. And we'd go to Italy about three, four times a year. And he just, he would, this guy would just go off in a rage. And then he'd be over. It's like, I mean, it's just like the Tasmanian devil, and then all of a sudden he'd be this sweet guy. And he says, I feel so much better. I just, I'm Italian. I just have to get it off my chest. Yeah, you got it off your chest, and you just, you just laid out everybody around you. And the fact is, that's what we're called to put off. Clamor, public outbursts, slander, speaking against with a bitter heart, malice, that's ill will. Put them off and put on the beautiful clothes of Christ. You see that in verse uh, 32. He says, be kind to one another. Aren't you glad Jesus was kind to us and continues to be? Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. The motivation should always be Christ forgave me of a sin and he forgave me and I didn't even deserve it. He forgave all my sins, past, present, and future. Put off that old self. Put on the new self. But I want to go back to the warning at the beginning. Don't look at these as a list of do's and don'ts. I, I got to just be less angry. I, 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 I've got to just... You know, I've got to work on my words. What happens when you, when you focus that way is you're going to fall short. We all fall short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It, it, it happens. But there's grace at the cross. Don't look at what you need to do. Look at where? Look at Jesus. Look into his face. Remember who you are. 
Walk worthy because you are chosen, you're adopted, you're loved, you're accepted, you've been redeemed, you're forgiven, you're an heir, you, you've been sealed, you're, you're gifted. And the fact is, look, look to Jesus by spending time with him. Don't try to live for Jesus, but, but, but allow Jesus to work in you so he can work through you. Spend time with him. Don't be afraid to say, I can't, Jesus, but you can through me. Take surrender. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me. I may just do a whole series on that, that, that three-word phrase. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle in heart. I'm lowly, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, lonely and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, Come to me. It's an invitation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says, Come to me. You've been struggling with these. Come to me. Don't come to your to-do list. Come to me. And when you do, notice, you'll, you'll find rest. You'll find it's easy. You'll find it's light, which is totally the opposite of, 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 of worn out and hard and heavy, which can, the religious life can be. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to himself. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. Now, at the end of this service, we're going to sing a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And I just want to read a couple of these verses. And I want, I want you just to listen to these words and see this as an invitation from a God who loves you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as, as, as I read these. And I'm going to have our men get ready for passing communion. But listen to what, he's, what this song says. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Second verse says, leave behind your regret and mistakes. Leave them. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Why? Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. He says, come to me. When we take communion, it's a reminder of why we can come to him. Because he came to us. Jesus, being God, took off his royal robes, came into this world, and took on flesh. He lived a sinless selfless life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place and he was raised on the third day. When we turn from our sin and self and turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is in that moment that we're new creations. That we take off the old and put on the new. But 
it's important for us to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. And that's why we celebrate communion. Communion is a representation of Jesus' body being broken for us. It's a representation of his blood being shed to cover our sins. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, I've earnestly desired to take these elements with you, to have this supper with you. And so when we take this, the elements, we don't do it in a flippant way, but we, we, we come to him, we, we confess our sins, we lay our sins at the feet of Jesus, and we're reminded that he died for all of that. And now we can just rest in his grace.